Welcome to the free podcast that I aim to entertain, inform and inspire you. If you are already following the podcast, thank you. If you are not, I would really appreciate you clicking that button. It's a small gesture from you, which is a massive gesture for us. Enjoy the episode. Today's guest is Chaz Hallett. Chaz is the COO of Influence E-Mobility, a startup business that aims to tell the stories of the EV industry that is now constantly forever changing and evolving. Chaz believes that soft skills are crucial and that the development of an individual is down to the way they communicate and bring across ideas. This podcast promises you lessons in leadership and communication and chats about the passion for taking the car world to the next level and making the new tech not sound as scary as it seems. So, with that being said, here's what's to come. Just look at the car industry, like the, the most successful people, the people right at the top of the tree, a company like Mercedes-Benz, right, has 30,000 world-class engineers, right? Yeah. But any one person is going to be the engineering director, is going to be in charge of the whole lot. And I guarantee that one won't necessarily be the best engineer, but with world-class communication skills. I guarantee it. And, you know, those are the people that rise to the top because they're the people that can not just have the idea or the plan or the strategy, but take everyone with them and are able to communicate what they're doing when they're doing it. I'm a great believer of um, surrounding myself by people who are good at things that I'm not good at and being comfortable okay. with that, right? So being comfortable to be challenged. Now, anyone who works with me currently listens to me talk about this will laugh, but I'm not very organized, right? You know, I'm not an organized person. Um, and I'm, I'm a very deadline-focused person because that's just what's... I'm a, la- I'm a lazy person masquerading as a, as a really motivated, busy person. Because the minute I have a deadline, I'm, I go for it better. So I like to surround myself by people who've got good organisation skills, right? Number yeah. one. I think being a good leader, such as it is, I'm not sure if I'm a good leader or not. I think I'm okay. Yeah. But I think it's being, is being comfortable being challenged by people who work for you. Just be myself, just develop relationships with people. I mean, it sounds trite, it sounds, but you know, if you know people, if you can pick up the phone, if you have those relationships, that the soft skills mm-hmm. are the things you need to get things done, buy into what you're doing and what your team is doing. So, and that was the biggest shock actually, but actually learning how to navigate that is a skill that I hadn't had. And I'd say that was the main skill I took out of working for JLR people. My career has been usually someone presenting me with an opportunity and me saying yes or no to it. And that was one of those moments. 50 this year, so now I'm getting into the realm of the older people, right? Happy birthday. <laughs> um, never start pretending that what was got, what the old days were better, because they never were. No. The better things are always in the future, so never cling on to old tech. Yeah, there's the same people staying oh, I don't want to give up my petrol car. But, well, they're not using a, a Nokia phone from the late 90s. They're using an iPhone 13 while well, they're telling you that. So they're not giving, you know, why cling on to those? Why cling on to old tech? Go for the new stuff. So nearly always better. But it doesn't mean to say you can't enjoy the old stuff. I've learned, actually, there are no certainties. So that's what I've learned. I mean, yeah. I've learned that the answer has not emerged yet. Chaz, welcome to the podcast. How are we? Great, Harry. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. It's an absolute pleasure. So a question I'd like to start off with is what ignited your passion for cars? 
Well, I think like a lot of people, it was actually my dad. Uh, my dad was actually, he's now retired, long retired, actually. But he was a he was a car dealer. So for most of my early days, he had his own business, um, buying, selling cars, um, you know, servicing cars, MOTs, that sort of thing. So he ran a business. And, you know, and prior to that, he worked for a franchise dealership. So like right from the get go, there were cars everywhere in our house, not just not just actual cars outside yeah. the house, but also car brochures, model cars, you know, you name it. So it was kind of um, it was kind of delivered by osmosis, to be perfectly honest. Brilliant. And so you spent a majority of your career in sort of journalistic and sort of the PR world. Where do you think you picked up on your ability to tell a story from? Well, I think, uh, you know, I was always interested, right from school, I was always interested in writing and, and what have you. And I started working for the school magazine. I got, I actually studied history at university. But when I got to university uh, in Kingston, South West London, I joined the college magazine. Initially, yeah. it was um, reviewing music, actually. So, you know, we're reviewing bands and records, which is another of my passions, uh, interviewing bands and what have you. But you know, just before I graduated, I started applying because I was into cars hugely. I started applying for work experience on car magazines. Uh, yeah. I had some work experience at Auto Express uh, and What Car Magazine. And in fact, I was lucky enough just after I graduated there to get a job at What Car Magazine. And, it, and then my career has gone, gone from there, basically. So, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of perseverance, but a huge amount of luck as well. Yeah. And from... From watching your dad sell cars and stuff, do you think that's given you a good sort of understanding of how people work and maybe what they're looking for when you're writing pieces of work? I think so, definitely. I mean, definitely understanding the customers really yeah. important. And it was really useful in what car, because obviously what car's got a sort of more of a consumer, mm. consumer bent rather than enthusiast bent. So really understanding it. But actually, you know, what I learned was, you know, actually understanding the industry is super mm. important as well. Yeah really beneficial how the industry works why certain decisions are made how cars are made what are the economics of the car industry so as well as understanding what customers want so both sides of the equation super important and you know if i've got any advice for any young journalist or any young automotive journalist is actually really under get get under the skin of the industry you realize that as much as you like the products the cars they're actually ironically only quite a small part of it and where do you think you should start in sort of the, the, the dive into going maybe behind the scenes or looking at where the cars come from and those people behind the cars? Just read a lot. I mean, it's all out there. You know, it sounds so simple, but I come across so many young people who don't read, don't read enough. Yeah. You know, I sound like an old git now talking, giving uh, young people advice, but they don't read enough. They don't take the trouble to understand it's not all about reviewing the cars. I mean, that's really important, driving the cars, understanding the cars, understanding the customers, but getting under the skin of the industry and just read as much as you can because it's all out there. And again, I sound really old, but when I started, we didn't have the internet. You know, yeah. well, the internet did exist, but it wasn't nowhere near in the form it does now. So all that information is all out there on the table and you just have to, you just have to put the hard yards in to find it really. No, I think I, I, I mean, I completely um, sort of resonate with that. I mean, I'm 21. I started reading last year. I've <laughs> not picked up a book since I left school. Um, I, I just completely stopped. And I think you are you're completely right. You learn so much more than what the internet has to offer by just reading certain books and going through certain publications because there are things in there that someone's told someone that isn't isn't on the internet. 
because it's it's all about, like I say, it's all about that journalistic sort of finding out more. Because there's always more yeah. to a story, and and there's a lot more to the industry now as well. You know, anyone uh, involved in the industry really needs to. You don't just need to understand the car industry; you need to understand the battery industry. And things, and all yes, the of course. Industry, or, you know, all that, all the tire industry, and all those things. You know, it's really there's so much out there, and you know, and it's fun finding out as well because it's a fascinating industry. Yeah, and so you you started your sort of your automotive career in what car, and so how did it progress from there? Well, um, I did a few different jobs in what car. I ended up on the road test desk, which is a fantastically fun thing to do. Um, you know, go on car launches. Do comparison tests, uh, you know, got into writing features, you know, went around the world, went through all the shows, and 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 and. And then and then after a few years, I, I then transferred to Autocar magazine, which to be perfectly honest, you're much more of an enthusiast type magazine, mm. uh, much more globally focused than what car. Um, and I guess that was really where my you know my passion lay. And then I did a few jobs there, and then I was lucky enough to be made editor of Autocar in 2006 and I was pretty much the editor of Autocar for eight years after yeah and what was it like having the responsibility of such an enthusiast magazine behind you and making sure you delivered to that customer well it was enormously good fun I mean the great thing about working Autocar and I'm just I'm, I know it's still the same today because I know a lot of the guys still work there but um and still work with them um, you know, you just feel like you're at the centre of everything, you know, because it's a, a very high profile publication. Mm. It's got a global focus, you know, it gets lots of access. So you feel like you're at the centre of everything. You feel like you know everything. And that's in, incredibly empowering. And while I was there as well, you know, I was really lucky in my career, really, because I've just at the right age with both what car and also car to be at the at the coalface, at the vanguard of the, the digital digital publishing, you know, yeah. making making and creating the website. So, you know, what I, I started working on what, you know, what was effectively a weekly, a weekly magazine, which is challenging enough, but then, you know, with the internet it becomes like a, you know, an hour by hour publishing exercise. So, you know, it's incredibly, um, incredibly exciting, especially if you're into news. And I'm, you know, I, even I'm a news junkie, not just in the automotive world, but in, in general, you know, I read everything, yeah. I read, um, I read lots of newspapers every day. I'm always on Twitter. So I'm a real junkie for new information. So I know, and 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 if you like cars, then Autocar's like the perfect place for a news junkie who likes cars, basically, because there's endless news to report on. It's really good fun. I think it never stops, never stops throwing it your way. And you can, you know, I've been reading some Autocar's recent stuff. It seems to be, like you said, the fun sort of bouncy vibe still comes through. And it's still very much focused on on the car itself and, and the consumer reading reading the piece. And also, you've got you know, again, it's a good example. You know, when you work for any enthusiast publication, whatever sector it's in, yeah, uh, you've got an incredibly knowledgeable reader base as well, right? So, you know, the the, the consumers themselves, but lots of the industry also read Autocar. So you you know you feel that like you you feel this responsibility to deliver the right, you know, deliver the truth and deliver intelligent commentary as well because you know that. You know, quite often the readers know more than you do, and you've got to be really aware of that. So, you know, that's that's always at the back of your mind as well. And does this ever cause any sort of, I guess, stress, or what? Well, I guess what I'm asking is the the emotional impact on on you as an editor, or just you as a journalist, that maybe the side people don't realise. It's incredibly stressful. <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing worse than um, there's nothing worse than looking at a blank sheet of paper or blank cover and realise that you're, it's your responsibility to fill it. You know, and things things go wrong all the time. You know, so you've got to be you've got to be adaptable. You've got to you know think on your feet. 
you've got to surround yourself by good people by having a good team you can help you out i mean but these are things you trans you can transfer to any 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 walk of life you know so it's good yeah it's unbelievably stressful you know i mean you know i um plus all the traveling and all those other things to add to the mix i think my son i have i have a 16 year old son who's um you know he was born i think you know within a couple of weeks of me taking over as editor yeah. so i had all that going on at home as well no it's incredibly stressful yeah but i mean yeah you, you know you either you either you know i i'm the sort of person that's i'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie if i'm being perfectly honest yeah. not in like not in terms of I like I don't like abseiling or throwing you know bungee jumping or anything like that, but I'm definitely an adrenaline junkie in terms of you know coping with stress and coping with tasks, you know. So, um, but but if you're the type of person that could thrive in that environment, then great. But I'm not I'm not saying for one second that it's not stressful because it is. And where does well, I guess where does that that come from? I'm, I'm intrigued to know, to know whether the adrenaline junkie in you was born, and where, I mean the first sort of time you've realised you had this ability to deal with stress. I don't know, actually. Do you know what? I think when I was, um, I was, I was quite lazy academically, if I'm honest. You know, I did okay. I did pretty well at school. Yeah. But I was never really, I never went the extra mile to do my exam revision. But the minute I got paid employment, for some reason, for some reason, I just over-indexed. And, and I, one of the many jobs I had when I was at school was I worked as a short order chef in motorway service station okay uh, and i loved it like in a little chef and you know those sort of places hmm. and you know you've got you've got an enormous amount of, that's quite stressful right you know <laughs> frying 100 eggs in in half an hour or what you know oh. what it is to and i and I, the minute i got into that environment where it's like lots and lots of things going on lots of people you've got to do lots of tasks in a very short time to a deadline you know and this is you're cooking right cooking bacon or burgers or whatever it was and I just for some reason I just loved it I just thrived in it and I've sort of and I realized that I just was prepared as soon as I was being paid to do something that I enjoyed um I just put like 300% into it and I don't know what it I don't know where it comes from or what it is but I'm just I'm glad I have it because it's a good thing to have you know but um it makes living with me quite difficult sometimes because <laughs> I have to ask my wife about that but um, but for some reason, I just thrive in those sort of stressful environments. Therefore, you know, journalism, you know, de- something very deadline focused, um, really just appeals to me. And, you know, like, you know, I don't want to sound like a nutcase or anything, but I apply oh. deadlines to other bits of my life as well. You know, so Saturday morning, I have to get the supermarket shopping done by 11 o'clock. I have to have to have this done. I have to have that done. And I'm, I'm a very deadline focused person because that's just what's, Otherwise, you know, frankly, I would just, you know, not not get up or sit in the armchair or, or whatever because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I'm yep. a lay, I'm a lazy person masquerading as a as a really motivated, busy person because the minute I have a deadline, I'm I go for it basically. Yeah, I think it's because you because you know you're going to be lazy about something if you don't give yourself an excuse to be lazy. There is is so much more you can do, like setting like a to do list for the for the day. You've got you've got targets to hit. I think it's very important for yeah. me as well. Like doing yeah, that. Yeah, I think. Being deadline and target driven, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. As long as you, as long as you don't get too crazy about it. And there have been bits of my times where I have been a bit too crazy about it, but I think as I've got older, I've now got the right balance. <laughs> yeah, no, I hope yeah. that. Well, it's, it's nice you learn from the past, the past, and you kind of you grow and you, and you sort of take those those times are going too far, and you know when not to go too far. 
but when you moved from what class did you moved to JNR after that? Yeah, yeah. So I left uh, I left journalism at right at the tail end of 2014. To be honest with you, I felt because I'd worked at a high level at motion journalism for quite a long time. Yeah. I always had an ambition to um, I always had an ambition to work for a car company. Uh, and several opportunities arose actually. Um, but I, I ended up going to JLR because I wanted a global job. Uh, yeah. It was a global job, but based in the UK, because at the time I didn't really have the, I couldn't, I, because of family issues, I couldn't really work abroad. So, sure. so I went to work for JLR at the new division. The new division they were setting up, which has now become incredibly successful, which is special operations, which is where the SVO, and the classic division live, you know, the, the very highly specialized performance and luxury models and the yeah. um, and the classic cars. I went to work there as head of communications, which was really good fun, uh, I must say. And then after that, I ended up in head of corporate PR. So dealing with all the global corporate issues, which is a okay, job. Wow. Yeah. And what so what spurred you to go from journalism to, to PR? What was that mindset switch like? I think it's something I've been thinking about for a few years, to be perfectly honest, because, you know, I mean, I was, um, I had been a motion journalist for close to 20 years, um, which is quite a long time to do something. Um, I felt, I felt like as much as I enjoyed it, it would have been 20 years. If I'd stayed, it would have been, you know, 20 years of doing the same thing again and again, repeat, 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 repeat which is not something I really wanted to do. I wanted to give myself a challenge. I wanted to get out of the publishing industry and do something else, but something that would allow me to use the skills that I've learned, my knowledge, my contacts, and all those things. So PR is a sort of natural thing to do. I mean, it's sort of natural for journalists to move into into PR anyway. And and I really enjoy working with JLI. It's a great company, lots of really smart people, lots of great products you know it's a bit of a culture shock for me coming from journalism to be perfectly honest but you know I learned a huge amount there and I was really glad that I really glad that I did it and I I still have a lot of time for that that company because there's a lot of great people that they're not having the they're not having the best of time right now you know financially but they are you know there's a lot of really smart talented people and they make some fantastic products to be perfectly honest so it's a great place to be and there was no was there no deadline set for you to leave journalism you hadn't set yourself a i'm gonna be here for 20 years and you was kind of just to sort of i i feel like I have my time's up and i want to deal with <laughs> well i think you i think you're confusing me with someone who really plans their career out to be <laughs> honest um the history of my career basically has been someone going rather than me plotting it out you know on a on an envelope or something the history of my career has been usually someone presenting me with opportunity and me saying yes or no to it and that was one of those moments basically you know, so although you know I was yeah I I talked to some friends in the industry over a couple of years before I did this people were aware that I harbored those sort of ambitions mm-hmm. so it wasn't totally surprised when when I eventually did it and what was the support from your friends and your network like when you decided to jump from that to make that to make that switch um I think very much so actually I mean very supportive actually because I think everyone understood why I was doing it you know it was just I wanted to have another career for the next 20 years um uh, the one uh, on top of the one I'd already had so people were very you know people weren't that surprised I mean yeah I think people were 
some some automotive journalists were quite surprised to be fair because they you know they they you know they they see what they do as having a sort of there's a lifestyle connected to that sort of job you know which i you know the, the, the travel and the access to all the cars and stuff but yeah, so there was that, but I mean, I didn't really see that. I was always thinking, for me, it's always been about the job, the job first. And if you get any benefits in that job, then then great. But yeah, here it was the opportunity to do something else, learn a lot of new skills, and you know, I learned a lot of new skills actually doing that very in a very short period of time, because it's quite a culture shock. Um, going from being the editor of a magazine to going to work for a big corporate organization, you know, huge. And in fact, that's that's the biggest culture shock for me. It wasn't the it wasn't the job, but it was just that you're part of this huge machine, you know, and um, and you're very aware of that, you know, you're very very aware of that. Whereas if you're the editor of a magazine, you're you're effectively I know you work for a publisher, but you're kind of your own boss. You make your yeah. own decisions. You know, you you live or die by those decisions to some extent. In a big corporate world, you know, you can have a good idea, but that's that that doesn't instantly translate to activity you know there's there's what we call in pr stakeholder management there's a lot of people that need the need to buy into whatever you're doing you know and you're you're very aware of that and actually in some ways you know in a corporate role the pr is sort of the easy bit it's actually the management of okay the machine which is the which is the hard thing you know jlr is a good example you know it's got a big, it's a big company, about 40,000 people it was when I was there. You know, it's a global operation. So, you know, what you do, you know, there's all the markets all around the world. There's the headquarters, there's all the other people that need yeah. to buy into, buy into what you're doing and what your team is doing. So, and that was the biggest shock actually. But actually learning how to navigate that is a skill that I hadn't had. And I'd say that was the main skill I took out of working for JLR navigating those those big, big structures and, and trying to deal with it, trying to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, what are the best ways to deal with it? <laughs> I don't know. It's actually one thing that journalists are very good at uh, is um, is developing personal relationships because it's, it's a very relationship. The automotive industry is quite relationship-based anyway, but certainly yeah. in communications and certainly in journalism. So actually what I found was, just be myself, just develop relationships with people. I mean, it sounds trite and sounds, but you know, if you know people, if you can pick up the phone, if you have those relationships, that the soft skills mm-hmm. are the things you need to get things done, actually. And if you can negotiate that with your soft skills, again, you know, these are hugely transferable skills, right? Uh, to any sector, any job, yeah. really, you can get a lot done. And again, I'll go back to my time cooking in kitchens. You know, working in a big team with lots going on, getting the right result, learning how to deal with people, you know, people who aren't, don't want to be there, angry customers, no. all yeah. of those sort of things. Those are all soft skills that I've employed. I tried to, I've tried to employ everywhere along the way. But at JLR, you know, for instance, a big company doesn't always work, but, but it can do. And if you, if you can develop those personal relationships, that's when you get stuff done. You can email someone or pick up the phone or WhatsApp someone. And that goes a long way, you know, that goes a long way to cutting through the sort of fog you often get in a, in a large organisation or a small one, actually. Um, and, you know, the, it's often called office politics. I think that's a bit 
pejorative to Copernicus. I would like to describe it as just, you know, navigating to get the best outcome. Maybe that's what you can do. But, you know, that's a good thing to have in life, right? You know, yeah. I have some great news. I'm incredibly excited to announce this podcast has its first sponsor, Automobilist. Now, Automobilist are all about creative thinking and solution finding ideas, ideas that I like to champion myself. Now, on top of this, they are some of the industry's most knowledgeable automotive and motorsport minds. They create a high-quality product that looks great in garages, offices, and rooms of all types. They are giving one lucky listener of this podcast a chance to win a copy of their limited edition Formula 1 80s decade posters. Now, I know what you're thinking, but I have not been told what to say. I generally love the posters, they look superb, plus they are so collectible. Still, if you are like me and obsessed with the McLaren, this is extra exciting because the poster is of the McLaren MP4-4 car. The McLaren MP4-4 is statistically the most successful Formula 1 car ever having triumphed in 15 out of 16 Grand Prix held in 1988. It's a proud and unbelievable moment for me and the podcast. I wish I could be in the chance to win with the poster myself. Now, listen carefully because these are super easy steps that will guarantee you the chance to be entered. To enter, follow us at We Are Ignition. That's We, the letter R, Ignition. And Automobilist at I Am Automobilist on Instagram and comment the word win on our post to be in the chance. Again, a huge thank you to Lucy and everyone at Automobilist for helping set this up and sponsoring the podcast. The giveaway starts Friday, August the 5th and ends 11.59pm on August the 31st. The winner will be announced Monday, September 5th. This giveaway is not sponsored or endorsed by Instagram or Spotify and has nothing to do with the platforms. All rules and regulations will be on the website and further information is in the show notes below. Good luck. And now, back to the episode. Yeah. I, you're not you're not playing a game. You're just you're just trying to make the most of most of the people around yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And you can use those. You, you're taking back a pair of trousers that don't fit next or something. You, you know, you get a refund. So I don't know. You can, you know, all those skills you can employ in all walks of life. Really. You know. Yeah. And that's what I think is. Um, I guess that's what I, on reflection. I guess that's what I've learned. You know, life really that just acquire those sort of skills. If you can, because then you can deploy them in all of this, if you like. And um, where have there been the times that these skills have benefited you the most? Oh, I don't know. I mean, every day, to be perfect. <laughs> just getting the right outcome, you know, because because you, an idea or a, a thought or a strategy is only ever possible to execute if you take everyone with you. Yeah. You know? And there's been loads of times in my life where, you know, I've had an idea or I wanted to do something and, you know, that, that, that is contrary to what's going on, you know, what taking a different path, yeah. turning left when everyone's left, you turn right and all those things, right? And, you know, there's, but you can only do that if you take people with you. You know, it's so important. It's so important to, and I think, you know, one of the things that, journalism does teach you and other bits of your life can teach you having good communication skills is so important in life you know being able to present your idea and if you look at um just look at the car industry right there's so many of them are you know the the most successful people the people right at the top of the tree you know the board members yeah 100 percent guarantee 
every single one of those people has immaculate communication skills because that's how they've, you know, car companies have, you know, a company like Mercedes-Benz, right, has 30,000, I don't know, I'm just making this number up, right? Yeah. 30,000 world-class <laughs> 30, engineers, right? Yeah. But any one person is going to be the engineering director, is going to be in charge of the whole lot. And I guarantee that one won't necessarily be the best engineer, but be but will be a good engineer, a very good engineer, but with world-class communication skills. I guarantee it. And you know, those are the people that rise to the top because they're the people that can not just have the idea or the plan or the strategy, but take everyone with them and are able to communicate what they're doing when they're doing it. It's so important. It's so important. You know, I, I wish they taught. I wish, you know, my son's going through the school system at the moment. My daughter's too young to go to school at the moment, but she will do. I yeah. wish schools focus more on that, you know, because um, learning how to present, learning how to put, you know, a plan together and then present it to a room full of people. And it occurred to me because my, my little, um, they're not so little anymore, my, my nephew started his school education in the US, right? Yeah. And I realised because of, you know, my brother, his father was telling me, you know, what they do at school. And I was being over there and stuff like that, you know, and talked to a minister to come back from school. Yeah. Is that in, in America, they're much more, you know, they have this thing called show and tell, right? Where every week, every single member of the class has to stand up and talk to the class about something. But then it occurred to me why Americans generally, this is a huge cliche, but you know, I think it's just some truth in it, are so good at sales and commercial and present, presenting themselves. Because they do it from the age of four at school every week, right? And we don't. We yeah. should be. It's so important in life. It's so important. No, I think that's all right. I mean, I remember doing a bit of show and tell, but you're not to the point where you're doing it every day. It's not. Yeah. It's not that, and that that was terrifying. I still find it terrifying, like going and going to school and doing presentations. That terrified me. But there was... aren't many. There aren't many jobs where you don't need that, right? You know, yeah. there aren't many jobs where you don't need to convey information in a in a, in a digestible way to take some with you you know you could be a foreman you know you could be a team leader in a factory in a manufacturing role you could be a, a shop a sales assistant in a shop you could be all those jobs not just the you know the fancy jobs at the other yeah. end of the scale. all those jobs require it to a lesser or greater extent you know yeah i think uh, coming from hospitality base you you like, you like yourself working in restaurants you're all constantly surrounded by people and if you can't deal with those people correctly you're not able to have a functional sort of business. You can't run a restaurant and not be able to speak to people. So I think we're completely right. It's not, it's not about sort of how good you are at a certain job is how good you are with people. And uh, like I said, it speaks volumes to yeah. someone who can communicate. Exactly. And then you become a, you know, you become by default a decent manager, you know, actually as well, you know, a decent leader of people because you need to take people with you. That's really true on a magazine, right? You know, you, cause mm. There's no right or wrong on a magazine. It's just what you think, what you feel, you know. And so therefore, you have to get people to buy into that, you know, buy into that idea, and then and go with it. You know, well, there's loads of jobs like that. Yeah, I, I wanted to sort of go more into the sort of leadership. Okay. Because when you're looking at sort of looking at, I know you're now you're a CEO of Influence Eobility. Is that correct? Am I saying That's that right? right? Yeah. What when you're looking at becoming a chief operating officer at, at that level, when you're leading people. Communicating is one, but what is what are the other sort of main strengths that you'd be able to need to carry that forward? 
Well, I think one of them actually is selecting the right people to be in your team, right? Sure, yeah. I'm, I'm a great believer of um, surrounding myself by people who are good at things that I'm not good at and being okay. comfortable with that, right? So being comfortable to be challenged. Now, anyone who works with me currently listens to me talk about this will laugh, but I'm not very organized, right? You know, I'm not an organized person. So I like to surround myself by people who've got good organization skills, right? Number yeah, one. Makes sense. Or, or, or whatever it may be. And I think I think being a good leader, such as it is, I'm not sure if I'm a good leader or not. I think I'm okay. Yeah. But I think it's being is being comfortable being challenged by people who work for you is really important. And and therefore and selecting the right people to be in your team. Again, to have a good cross section of abilities. To, to be comfortable managing people who are good at who are better at things than you are at them yeah. as well. But and I say I think that's super important. Being not being and also the other thing is I think is to again this is where the soft skills come in is to understand that pe- each individual person has different motivations and applying that. So really thinking about that one person, you know, what what's going to motivate them the most. Some people are very obviously motivated by money. You know, that's yeah. a nice sort of easy one, really, to some extent. But some are motivated by responsibility, by creativity, by whatever it may be, but really drilling down to that person. And also to talk to them regularly as well, or more importantly, to listen. Mm-hmm. Listen, even if they you're not asking them a question, just listen to them. Um, and then you really understand their motivations. And that's what makes you a better manager, I think, because I believe that everyone is quite different. Yeah. Everyone is differently motivated. Everyone has different issues or different concerns or different, you know, and, and it's really important to ask open questions and find out what's what makes them tick or what's making them tick. And then you can treat them as individuals um, and that makes you a better leader, I think. Yeah, so it very much comes back to those soft skills that you spoke about earlier. And... Why I've got a bit of a problem with these sort of man- I mean, I've been on, I've been on more than my fair share of management courses over the years, mm. and some of them are good, right? I mean, don't, they're not all bad, but quite, quite a lot of the ones that I've been involved in, they tend to treat people as this sort of all the same. So these are the rules of management. If you employ these rules, then will be a good manager well I don't believe that particularly because I think there's a lot more nuance and flexibility involved because individuals by their very nature are individual and therefore have different concerns different motivations there might be at different life stages you know blah 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 for instance you know someone who lives on their own as a young professional yeah has different motivations than someone who's married with three kids and a mortgage right I mean it stands to reason but if you took a management course you you'd you'd be told to treat those two people the same, but that's not true. You know, men and women are different, older, younger people are different, you know, they're all different. And you really need to tap into that quite quickly uh, and you'll make you, it'll make you a better leader. Yeah, and there's no, there's no set rules for life. I'm guessing that's, that's, that's the thing. No. There can't be set rules for managing people. I, I don't believe there are, no. I mean, I think obviously right at the top of the tree, you know, the umbrella, there are clearly there are certain rules, but... I think once you get below that layer into the individuals and start thinking about them, I, I think that I think it's a much more 
that's why you know that's why managing is a much harder role than it's sort of taken taken credit for yeah i think i think you're right um going going forward into sort of looking at the e-world i want to call it of cars and yeah. electrification what have you learned so far that might need to be told or people need to be made aware of that when it comes to electric cars well we you know i uh, i'm a co-founder of a, a an agency a pr agency called influency mobility um you know we set that up uh, just under two years ago because it was clear which direction the, the industry was taking. What have we learned? Well, the trouble is, I think we're actually quite early stages of it, to be honest with you. Sure. I think right now we're at what I call the gold rush stage, where there's huge amount of activity. You know, um, nothing's been consolidated yet. There are no hard and fast rules. Um, it's an incredibly exciting time in the industry at the moment. Um, what have I learned? I've learned actually there are no certainties. So that's what I've learned. I mean, yeah. I've learned that the answer has not emerged yet, right? I mean, there's sure. certain consensus, but who knows where, who knows where electrification is going to take us and who knows where zero emission propulsion will take us. I mean, just the debate about hydrogen versus electric is fascinating in itself. And that, and that, that debate and the nuances of that debate tell us that you know, we're, we are several decades away from consolidation, which is very exciting, I think. Yeah. It, it's probably right now would have been like, um, you know, the, working in the industry right now is probably what working in the industry would have been like in the early, in the early decades, two decades of the 20th century. I think it's incredibly exciting. And, and the innovation is coming at a hugely rapid rate. Um, and the industry is doing has I think in general terms the industry has responded extremely positively to the challenges the world faces right now. Sure. Yeah. And it probably doesn't get enough credit for that, but I mean that that's fine. But I mean I think there's some very clever people coming up with some very clever solutions to overcome the macro issue, which is the you know the the climate crisis or whatever you want to of call course. it. And to be perfectly honest, the way I see it is, you know, you know, even if you're a so-called climate change denier or, you know, you're one of those people, I'm not, by the way, um, it just strikes me that gasoline or fossil fuels are a, are a limited resource or a finite resource anyway. Of course. So I think whatever you, whatever the motivation, it strikes me we should be doing as much as we can to save what is a finite resource and think yeah. about other ways of other ways of getting from A to B or other ways of heating our homes and offices or or, or whatever it may be. And you know, it's a it's a fascinating time to be alive. And I feel really privileged to be a part of it in a, a small way in what we're doing, communicating, you know, some of the, yeah. some of the companies that are making great doing interesting things in the industry. Um, and, you know, I talked to some incredibly interesting people and, you know, I think there's some great solutions out there coming, coming down the track. And I think, yeah, what a time to be alive in the next two decades, right? Yeah. I mean, that's incredibly humble of you to just say you're not, you're not there to, to just spread the word, but also just to get the information out to people. Well, and... I think, yeah, I mean, you know, it's these, you know, we, we work for some very big car companies, right? But we also work for quite a lot of, um, startups and scale-up businesses you know and what they need they need you know they often need 
they need the attention, right? They need yeah. they need the world to know what they're doing. They often need funding. They need or they need to create demand for what they're doing. And, and you know, we we play a role in that. So you know, it's really really fun. It's really good fun. And they're just the end of it. Just the disregarding all the other things that are going on. Just what's happening in the world of batteries at the moment is fascinating. And you know, it changes almost week by week. And yeah, where we are right now is nowhere near where we're going to be even in five years' time, let alone 10, 20 years' time. And you know, that that taking society, we have to take society with us, really. And it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see. I'm I can't I have always loved the future, right? I kind of I'm always living in the future. Yeah. I'm always more interested in what's happening next week than what's happening right now. And this this really plays to that sort of um that sort of bit of my you know psyche really to be perfectly honest, you know. And you know, there's so much going on. It's, it's breathtaking, actually. Even if you think about what's happened the last five years, yeah, about what could happen in the next twenty, it's just mind blowing. And the way, you know, fundamental to the way we live. Mobility is fundamental to the way we live, right? Um, and if that mobility changes, or you know, the way we heat our houses change, where we use energy, where we think about energy, where we create energy, the way we store energy. Yeah, oh, it's mind blowing. I mean, I'm so excited about it. I'm so yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm apprehensive but excited because you know, there's the child in me that loves the sounds and and the the sort of the the rumbles and the vibrations that you get from internal combustion. But also at the same time, there's the brilliance of battery and hydrogen and how you can take yourself without the need to burn anything off. Or I'm the same, awesome. you know. I, I yeah, like yeah. I like a V12 Ferrari as much as the next man, but. They're not going away. They still have them. Oh yeah, they still have them. Um, those cars will still exist. They're not. They're not, not going to be burnt and crushed and burnt. You know. Um, and we shouldn't ever cling. I don't. Yeah, we shouldn't ever. Cling. One of my great mentors in life, right? This guy called Steve Cropley. He's a very well-known automotive journalist. He's a great yeah. guy, super talented. But he always taught me. You know, he said, "Never, never be one of those. Never become one of those people." And it's a sort of fashion of older people generally. As I'm getting, you know, my I was 50 this year, so now I'm getting into the realm of the older people, right? Happy birthday. <laughs> um is never start pretending that what was got what the old days were better, because they never were. No. The better things are always in the future. So never cling on to old tech. You know, there's the same people saying, Oh, I don't want to give up my petrol car. But well. They're not using a, a Nokia phone from the late 90s. They're using an iPhone 13 while they're telling you that. So they're not giving, you know, why cling on to those? Why cling on to old tech? Go for the new stuff. It's nearly always better. But it doesn't mean that you can't enjoy the old stuff. True. Either. But what's coming, there's no doubt, but what's coming is going to be better than what's been. I mean, that's the case in most walks of life. Yeah. And so from your, um, I guess, experience, who is the next, oh, I want to say, Henry Ford of the electrification race? Who, in your opinion, is is creating the most exciting buzz or is, is doing the most innovation? <laughs> That's a really good question. That's a really good question. I'm not sure we've seen the next Henry Ford yet. Um, maybe we won't, actually. But I suspect the next Henry Ford will be someone who, who creates... Um, an unbeatable battery system or a fusion system, for instance. You know, one of the companies that we're working with is a fusion company. 
So, you know, the person you can, the person you can crack that, right? Yeah, Once yeah. you've cracked fusion, pretty much all your energy, global energy concerns go away, right? Yeah. You've got a never ending source of energy. Once you can, once you can do that and industrialize it in the way that Henry Ford industrialized personalized transport. So in a hundred years, the person that can do that will be the guy who's remembered or guy or lady who's remembered, uh, in the way that Henry Ford is. I don't think it, it's, it's fashionable to say Elon Musk, right? But I don't think what Elon did, which I think was always his intention is to make the old the old so-called legacy automakers think differently. Yeah. And I think that's been his greatest achievement. Everyone's doing it now, right? So I don't think he's I don't think he's gonna be remembered in that in the same way that Henry Ford is. I think the person who cracks fusion or can crack a you know a a limitless a limitless free zero emission power in whatever way that is will be remembered like that. So I, think more I think it's that that chapter is yet to be written. I think to be perfect. Yeah. But it's more important to crack, I guess, the the energy race than there is the the mobility race because that's already that's already been established. I, I agree. I agree. Whatever that may be, it may be the most maybe maybe the most amazing battery. It may be a fusion thing. It may be hydrogen. Who knows, right? But I think yeah, and anyone who can do that and 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 industrialize it uh, and affordable way will be. Will be the one who really makes it yeah, brilliant and sort of going away from i guess the, the corporate side of things and heading towards sort of your future um do you see this consultancy going going massive or would you like to pursue anything else i know you, you said you don't plan your career but is there anything you've you've got banked oh, away in your, banked away not really i think you know the um you know i'm lucky enough to work you know with some amazing people at Influence, um, yeah. we you know we have two very successful global PR agencies, Influence Associates and Influence Mobility. Influence Mobility is still quite new; it's less than two years old, but we've been very successful so far. So I you know I want to spend the yeah. really making that you know get even more successful to be because there's so much uh, happening in the next decade, and you know I feel that I want to be want to be part of that in a small way and help help communicate that really yeah i mean, guess it's just it's letting people know of what's going on behind sort of the battery world and the ev world and sort of opening it up to everyone's eyes and, and trying like you say take them away from the old tech and show them the advantages and the, the sort of the you can see the nuances of, of the new tech exactly exactly yeah brilliant so there's, there's a few questions i'd like to sort of end the podcast with and the cool. first of those being if you had Unlimited money and limited resources. What three cars would you have? <laughs> I I'm constantly, uh, I I'm constantly thinking about this. Okay, so just off the top of my head, I would probably have a, I probably have a Porsche Taycan. Yeah. Um, I would probably have a 1995 Ferrari F355. Okay. Manual. Yeah. Manual. Yeah. And because the F1 gearbox from that era is not that great, to be perfectly honest. And the third car is an interesting one. I would probably have a Range Rover. Although the third one I'm less certain about, to be perfectly honest. 
any particular Range Rover or just, just anything from the... The new L460 would be fine. You know, the, the high <laughs> one of those is fine. That, that's fine. That will do. It'll do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Perfect. But um, by that, if you ask me this afternoon, I'd come up with three different cars to be perfectly honest. I might, you know, I've, I'm, I'm already kicking myself because one of my favourite cars is of some sort of Porsche 911. So, you know, the Ferrari may become an old, you know, a, a 996 Turbo or something like that. I don't know. But it's sort of around the era of... I have two cars at the moment, and but, you know, I'm constantly thinking about what I'm going to get next. I'm just one of those people, really. I mean, what are those cars, if you haven't been asking? Uh, yeah, well, they're sure, I can tell you. I have a Honda E, which I absolutely love, and that might be one of my three cars. I love that car. Yes. Yeah. I've been wanting all my life to have a mission, what I call a mission-specific car, and it's just... I know people criticise the range of it, but for me, from what I use it for, what we use it for as a family... It could not be more perfect. I've always I love Hondas as well. Hondas a great company. Yeah, I love I love everything about that car. It's great. I have a Volvo XC60 as well, which I love less, if I'm honest. Okay. Um, but that's about to be replaced by um, a Porsche Macan, which I've got on order. Lovely. Um, again, you know, this is you know, but that that Porsche Macan could have easily been a Porsche Taycan actually, but um, it wasn't because we also because of current infrastructure issues we probably we wanted to have one of each to be honest with you although even in a year's time i suspect that that decision may be short-sighted but you know that 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 vehicle is going to be iterated into an electric vehicle at some point so my i think yeah within two years we'll have two electric cars probably and is i mean this is this has just come to me is this a uh a decision that's made by just you or is your wife and your kids have no no i mean my wife's obviously you know she's a key stakeholder i've got to manage in this in this situation um yeah no we we need i have a small daughter i have an 18 month old daughter yeah uh who's you know obviously you know kids come with all sorts of paraphernalia and child seating i have a 16 year old son he doesn't live with me actually but you know he's around quite a bit yeah you know i need some sort of family vehicle in inverted commas and that's that's what the Volvo is, and it does a good job for that. And that's what the McCann's going to be when that arrives as well. So, and the Honda, really? but interestingly, the Honda is the car we both use 85, 90% of the time because it's, again, it's mission specific. I love it. I mean, I could, um, in fact, I'd be very happy to just have another one, actually, whenever the, the, yeah, the, the agreement runs out on that car. Yeah. Fair enough. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> get is it, is it is it blue or do you get a different color? No, it's blue. That's the best. It's blue. Yeah, yeah I quite like the good. white one or the grey one, but that wasn't so well received. And you know, in the, in the, I lost the vote on that. <laughs> that's a shame. But there we go. Um, one you've got one road and one car, or sorry, one track or one road and one car. What are you taking and where are you going? Oh, that's a really good question. I've had a lot of fun in my life driving in California. Yeah. And um, the, I mean, there's a, a traffic, you know, the traffic in LA and around there is hideous, but you'd have to go very far out. So the Pacific Coast Highway is a particularly nice road. Yeah. Um, I would do an hour or so on that, and then I'd turn right and go up into the winemaking regions and some of the canyon roads and some of the twisty roads around there. And I'd probably, one car, and particularly when I get to the twisty sort of roads, I'd probably want a really nice, like a, some sort of, not probably a 911 actually, if some... There we some, go, yeah. Probably a 
maybe a 997 GT3, probably something like that. No, something really nice, but not not one of the completely crazy ones, but something light lightweight, probably for that drive. Uh, although getting out of LA might be tricky, but probably a, a manual one, probably if I'm on the canyon roads. Yes, yeah. sounds great. You know, the, all the sound reverberates off the rock faces and stuff, and the weather's nice. And it's just you know, nice and dry, so that'd be fun. I think. Yeah, that was what I did. Yeah, it's been it's been told about to me a couple of times by different guests on the podcast, and it's something that I have now put on my bucket list of things of things to do. But yeah, I would, driving. Yeah, but I, the other drive I would probably do is up the are they the speed limits? They're so crazy in Australia, but some of the Australian coastal roads are fantastic. You know, Sydney, Sydney up to Brisbane is really nice as well. But I mean, but the trouble is the police are so hot and speeding. Like, I think I would. If I was in my nine nine seven GT three, I'd be pretty frustrated. I think. That's if they catch you, though, so it's fine. Yeah, they probably do catch you in Australia, that's the truth. <laughs> Brilliant. And the um, last one I always have is one piece of advice you'd give to anyone that wants to either start their journey or in, um, continue their journey in the automotive world. Um, well, I think I've already touched upon it, really. I think yeah. just, um, just be the guy or girl in the room who knows everything. You know, just know your stuff. And I see, you know, I there aren't enough journalists who really understand the industry. I mean, sure. every aspect of it. They may know all about the cars and the products, but they don't really think about the economics that got the car there, you know, all the, all the motivations of the companies. And I think uh, that would be, I mean, it'd be fun to know anyway. Um, you know, fun to learn, but also it could be good for your career as well. Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, Chaz, thank you so much for this. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, I'd love to, again, pick your brain later on um, and have another conversation. But yes, yeah, so, thank you for the podcast and, and thank you for your time. Thank you, Harry. It's been good to be here. It's good to chat. And you've asked some really perceptive questions and maybe really think as well, which that was, a good, uh, that was a good sign of a good interview, I think. Oh, well, yeah. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. I would love to know what you thought about this episode. As for me, Chaz has been gracious enough to lend him the time out of his busy schedule to talk about and impart the wisdom he has gained throughout his career. He speaks of the power of honing soft skills and how communication is essential in conveying ideas and leading people. The car community, as we all know, is different for everyone, but it's also something that people have common ground with. We all love our car for what it is, and how you modify it says a lot about you. Even if you don't modify it, it is yours and it is your style and that too brings out conversations and curiosity in others. After all, that is what I am trying to build with this podcast, to take the life lessons and wisdom from people in the automotive and motorsport industries and use it to add value to our lives. So if you enjoyed what you heard, and if you know someone that would make a great guest on the podcast, let me know. The email address is info at ignitionpod.com. Don't hesitate to contact me with your name, occupation, and how you think you can add to the podcast. The idea is to learn from one another. And remember, you don't have to have a following. You just have to love cars. And that's enough. So this is the Ignition Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's or any of our other episodes, please share them with at least three people you know. If we can get one more person to listen that's one more person in my mission to help inspire people to do more with their passion for cars.